Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Whining About Herstory, a podcast where two longtime gal pals swap stories of women that you may not have heard of before and we chug wine while doing it. Welcome to our third episode. We're very glad you're joining us. Woohoo! Number three, Trinity! <laughs> I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And I guess let's just get going. Yeah. So uh, if you're a new listener, just a little heads up, what we're going to do is we're going to introduce the wine we're drinking, and then each of us are going to cover stories of badass gals that you've probably never heard, and... Kelly's going to announce the cheap-ass wine that we're about to start chugging. <laughs> this is... I actually don't know how cheap it is to buy, but this was the ultimate cheap-ass wine, as in, I had it in my basement, and I don't know how long it's been there. And you got it for free. Yeah. It was a gift. I, I remember that. The only way we could get cheaper is if someone paid us to drink the wine. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, sponsor us. Yeah. <laughs> um. So today we are drinking a Forestville 2013 Riesling. Um, and it says, Forestville varietal wines are produced from the finest vineyards in Northern California. The soil composition and climate combine with modern viniculture technology, technique, sorry, and meticulous attention to detail to produce wines with abundant flavor and exceptional varietal character. We firmly believe that our quest for quality begins in the vineyard. And this is not an ad. It is very good. We, we had a little. You know, for this wine being probably about three years old. Oh, probably. It's probably four because I think I got it when we got our house. Yeah. It's it's pretty good. And uh, I mean, half a glass got me where I want to be. So, so I'm all good. Cheers to super cheap free wine. Cheers to super cheap free wine. <laughs> Clink. And thanks to my husband for opening the bottle for us. Oh, my God. We have had the worst time trying to open our wine the past oh, couple the wine times. experiences. So episode two, my boyfriend opened the wine, and the only wine opener I own is this really owned. cheap. I think, I think you have to say owned at this point. Yeah, this this is a past tense situation. It's one of those wine openers where you have the sheath, and then uh, the top of the screw has the hole, and you put the sheath through the hole to like give yourself leverage. So, so dirty. Oh, yeah. We're very sexy on this <laughs> podcast. So you put the sheath through the hole and you just turn and crank it as hard as you can until pop. No, but seriously, he broke the wine opener and cut his hand open and then had to use pliers to pry the screw out of and the, the cork and the cork out of the bottle. But he didn't bleed into the wine. We're good. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're fine. But that's just how dedicated we are to bringing you quality broadcasting. Emphasis on the broad. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So today I'm starting off welcoming a new lady to our Femi family. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> Welcome to our family fa Femi family listeners. From episode one. <laughs> if you can't tell, we've already been drinking. <laughs> oh, and get ready for terrible pronunciation on my part. Okay. So I'm doing a very old lady. Very old. It's Hetshepsut. And she was a she was actually the first and one of the few pharaohs of Egypt. Female pharaoh of Egypt. Oh, shit. So she was born in 1508 BCE. <laughs> so we're going way back. Before Christ extremely. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So she was the elder daughter 
um, born to Thutmose. Why is it so much easier to pronounce the men's name? Because no one gives a okay. shit. They're like, oh, he's just going to be right. Twatmos. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. So she was the eldest of two daughters born to Thutmose the first and his queen and his queen Amis. Probably spelled that. Said that wrong. After his father's, after her father's death, 12-year-old Hatshepsut became the queen of Egypt. So not the pharaoh, the queen. They have slightly different roles. But she became the queen when she married her half-brother, Thutmose II. Fucking gross. Um, who was the son of her father and one of his secondary wives. Can so I- this was back when, like, the pharaohs had, like, their primary wife and then like their secondary wives who are really just their like their concubines their second tier yeah. wives so the backup wives the backup wives. b team <laughs> you know what's really interesting we have this weird synergy and kelly and i do not talk about who we're doing or the stories beforehand but i feel like every story of ours has this weird commonality <laughs> and so harem's totally play into my story and half brothers play very strongly into yeah, my there story there we go so mine doesn't last very long the half brother not the story the story lasts a while oh, half brother does doesn't mine. um so the half brother and then her because she was his queen um inherited the throne in 1592 bc um, they did have one daughter together named Nef- Neferuri. That's so cute. We're going to go with that. We're just going to call her Nephi. Um, so Thutmose II died after only a 15-year reign. So I guess I guess he was around for a little while. I mean, if I could rule anything for 15 years, I'd say that's a pretty damn good run. Right? Um, so obviously that made Hatshepsut a widow. And that's all before the age of 30. Damn. Um, She's done more before right? 30 than I have. I'm 28. This so the is sad. throne went to her husband's or her former husband's um, son, who was also born to a secondary wife named Isis. But because she was the queen, she began acting as his regent because he was obviously not old enough to rule. So she was kind of like, "Yeah, you're the king, but you're also still picking your nose yeah, and you're, wedding." Yeah, you're the a bed, child, so um, I'm gonna get shit done here. And he was named Thutmose the <laughs> third. Because that's how Egyptian dynasties work. They just didn't want to think of new names. Um, so she stepped up to be queen or regent um, at the age of 30. So she was 30 when that happened. Which is interesting because we've been talking about a lot of women that obviously came after Hatshepsut. And we're like, oh, 30 super old. But apparently in BCE Egypt, 30's not that old. It she- declined. Like, they lived a long time and then it declined so they only lived a short time and now we're back up. She's, like, still riding her bike with the little tassels and the beads on the spokes. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you remember those? Yeah, those are awesome. My my neighbor had one of those, and I was really jealous, and she was always shoving it in my face. I'm like, you bitch in your beads. You, you bitch in you your bitch beads. bitch in your beads. All right. <laughs> so, initially, Hatshepsut um, bore the role traditionally. She acted, you know, as a regent and was fine, you know, basically pseudo controlling the government but for reasons that are unclear some egyptologists said that it was just her ambition that drove her while others think that maybe there was a threat to her husband's lineage or a political crisis or something else that threatened the throne that made her um decide to step up and take i'm not gonna say take because that's not right step up and 
pronounce herself Pharaoh, essentially. Because hey, I'm not going to take this from you, but I'm just going to say this is what's happening Well, now. I'll, I'll explain <laughs> it. Um, so that was after less than seven years after her husband died, within okay. that time frame. Um, she decided to claim the role as Pharaoh. Technically, this is where it comes, she did not usurp the throne. Or the crown. Um, because Thutmose III was never disposed of and was considered a, a co-ruler throughout her life. Um, but it is clear that she was the primary ruler in power. Okay, so she so, like, was like... She didn't kill him. He was still there. But she was like, no, I'm not going to act as a regent. Like, I'm just going to do this. It's like, I'm doing the job. I'm making the decisions. I might as well have the title. Yeah. Because fuck you. And she you. was the first woman to claim full power as Pharaoh. You know what? Good for her. Like, you're... It's like when you're working at a job and we're like, hey, I know this isn't in your responsibilities. Could you just like do this thing, that thing, and the other thing? But you don't get paid for it and you don't get the title to put on your resume. She's like, bitches, I'm Pharaoh. Yeah. Fuck off. Right? And she she's considered one of Egypt's most successful pharaohs. I love that. I um, love she wasn't and she, just she the was ruler. The, yeah. She was good at it. Um, And she was the longest reigning female pharaoh in Egypt. Holy shit. How yeah. long did she reign? Uh, 20 I years. Holy shit. So longer than her husband. Oh my god. Yeah. So knowing that her power grab was highly controversial, Hetshepsut Het, Het, <laughs> Het fought Hetshepsut. to defend her legitimacy by pointing out that she was from the royal lineage, obviously, you know, and that her father, so Thutmose I, <laughs> um, had appointed her his successor. So, like, she's like, no, you know, I deserve to be here. These are the reasons I deserve to be here. She, I mean, she's the only full-blooded royal vying for the throne because everyone else has been, like, Secondary from wife. the B-team. The B-team. The B-team wives. <laughs> right. Which is terrible, but. <laughs> it's true. Um, so, trying to reinvent her image um, in statues and paintings of the time, she ordered um, that she be portrayed as a man. Um, with a beard and large muscles. There are some images, however, that she is prepared um, appearing as in traditional female regalia, but most of her like depictions as Pharaoh is her, is her as a man. That is super interesting that her legitimacy to the throne kind of vied on her uh, presenting herself as a traditional masculine yep. figure. Like, hey, you're not going to accept me as a woman, so I'm going to beef myself up in all these right. bitchin' carvings. And it does say, although, you know, obviously we don't know if this is true, but what I read is people don't believe that this was an attempt to trick people into thinking she was male. Um, they think that it was rather that they didn't have words or images or a way to portray a female as a pharaoh because it's something that hadn't happened. So this was her way of asserting her, her authority. Because they had no way of saying, oh... She's a woman in power, so she's like, fine, if I can, you know, if we can't depict it, just depict me as a man in power. <laughs> I trust you and your research, but I'm having a really hard time wrapping my head around that the this advanced civilization who spoke in literal pictures <laughs> couldn't draw a woman, like, with a crown or something. What the hell? You know, maybe a woman with a crown back then represented something else. I don't know hieroglyphics. I, I've always, seriously, I've always been super obsessed with Egypt. Like, I've loved Egypt since I was little. And so I wish I could be like, yeah, I can read hieroglyphics and this means that. 
I can't, and I really want to. So if someone out there knows if there is a hieroglyph of a lady with a crown and knows what it means, let us know at whiningabouthistory.com. And that's whining without an E. Because that has been an That's a issue. story for later, though. That's a story. We'll, we'll talk about that at the end, but oh my god, I have words. <laughs> so many words. So under Hatshepsut's reign, Egypt prospered. Unlike other rulers, she was more interested in ensuring her economy was prospering and building and restoring monuments throughout Egypt and Nubia, because apparently at this point Egypt owned Nubia. Um, she wasn't interested in co- conquering new lands, which I guess a lot of old pharaohs had been. They were more interested in, in expanding their borders than ensuring their people were happy. Um, Priorities. You're right. I get it. I want to own all of this. Everything. And I don't care if you're happy because I'm going to own all of this. <laughs> so she did undertake a lot of um, ambitious building projects, um, particularly in the area around Thebes. Um, her greatest achievement was the enormous memorial temple at Deir el-Bahri. You said that with such confidence. I completely believe that's how you pronounce it. (laughs) It is considered one of the architectural wonders of ancient Egypt. Another great achievement of her in her ninth year of her reign, so just under halfway through, um, was a trading expedition that she authorized that brought back vast riches, including ivory, ebony, gold, leopard skins, incense... And they brought it all back to Egypt from a distant land known as Punt. <laughs> what? Yep. That's what it says. Oh distant land God. known as Punt. Trust me, I like reread that section like four times before I put it in my note. Where is Punt now? Like, um, can we they go believe there? it's possibly um, modern day Eritrea. I didn't know Eritrea was a thing either. Thank you, American schooling system. Right. Thank you, geography. The scene of these mer- her sending these merchants out and then bringing back all these riches is depicted on that temple she built. Like, That's on one of the cool. walls. So she went out and got shit done. Yeah. Um, she also built a temple called the Jeshur Jeshuru. That's probably terribly wrong. Also known as the Holiest of Holy Places. It's which a was redundant, right? But okay. <laughs> it was dedicated to Amon and served as her funerary cult. Wait, she had a funerary cult? Yep. So, like, a bunch of people were super obsessed with her dying? I think in this case, cult means, like, burial preparation area. She had, like, a team. Yes. I want a funerary cult. I think when you get mummified, you just automatically get a team of people. Can we get funerary cults? Sure. Kelly, but I don't I'll, want to be mummified. Kelly, I'll be part of your funerary cult. <laughs> Which, when you die whichever someday, one of us dies first, the other one has to lead their funerary cult. Kelly, if you die first, I'm going to be the leader of your funerary cult, and I'm going to get up at your funeral and speak and be like, as the head of Kelly's <laughs> funerary cult, I would just like to thank you all for being here. I, I will do the same if you die first. And I'll just be chugging wine the whole time yeah. to cope with my grief. Yeah. Um, she also erected a pair of gra- red granite obelisks at the Temple of Amon in Karnak, um, one of which still is standing today, or at least was standing when the article I read about it was written. Oh, shit. Um, I want to see that, because I, I always see, like, the, the I go to Egypt. tan Real bad. ones, and, you know, you, you yep. have the image of the black obelisk, but I want to see a red one. I know, it'd be cool. It's our school colors, black and red. No, it's your school colors. Mine were Kelly green and no, we oh university. Sorry, yeah, like black, Kelly? red, and white. What school did you think you were going to? <laughs> I was thinking high school. 
I just blanked on my college years. <laughs> um, Hatshepsut uh, also had one other notable trading expedition that she sent um, ships to what they believe to like a different part of Africa. It didn't say exactly where, but they came back with like myrrh and incense and stuff like that. So like she was really good at sending people out and then finding shit and coming back. So like... Maybe they went to Jerusalem and they're like, hey, look at this manger with all this frankincense and myrrh. Oh, and there's gold. a baby. We don't want the baby. We'll take the other yeah, stuff. Yeah, what, what's a baby going to do with some gold, frankincense, and myrrh? That's funny. So eventually, as everyone does, um, she died in early February of 15, 1458 BC. BC always confuses me because she was born in like 15 something and died in 14 something. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. It's backwards. And her funerary cult was stoked. <laughs> finally, all this preparation, the bitch finally died. <sighs> um, in recent years, scientists have speculated that her death may have been related to an ointment or salve used to alleviate a chronic genetic skin condition. So she, like, had an accidental overdose? Yeah, they basically think a treatment she was using contained a toxic ingredient. So not accidental overdose, more like self-poisoning. But on accident. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so... Accidental poisoning? That's so sad. Testing of the artifacts near her tomb have revealed traces of a carcinogenic substance. So they think that's what killed her in the end. That seems like, I don't know, like so unnecessary. Like she could have kept kicking for many, many years and... Yeah, because they, they, um, Helmut Weidenfield of the University of Bonn's Pharmaceutical Institute said... If you imagine that the queen had a chronic skin disease and that she found short-term um, relief from a salve, then she may have been exposing herself to one to a great risk over the years. So they think it probably just probably like lung disease. It just kind of you know built up in her system and it's, then killed her. It's like she was using cigarette lotion. Yeah. God, what the hell? So now now we're going um, back to her stepson. Tutmos the third. Tutmos the third. The little twelve-year-old still picking his nose, who can't do anything. I would assume he's probably in his thirties by now. Still picking his nose, um, though. I bet. So late in his reign, I didn't really read anything about his reign because I didn't care. But this involves her. <laughs> this isn't about him, okay? So late in his reign, Thutmos the third began a campaign to eradicate Hatshepsut's memory. Bitch. He destroyed or defaced a lot of her mo- monuments, erased her from many inscriptions, and constructed a wall around her obelisks. They did that, though. Whenever there was a female ruler, the next male ruler would, like, scratch their faces out and replace them with the man's. Yeah. And, like, just completely erase their existence there is from history. a little... Some people are on his side, and I can understand this, because they say... Some people believe that he did it out of a long-held grudge, which I could see. But some people also say that maybe it was more of like a political effort to emphasize that he was the rightful line of succession and ensure that no one challenged his son, Amenhotep II, for the throne. So, but I get that because in Egypt, yes, I see you over there, Emily. I'm just She's making the, the jerk off side. motion so um, hard. I'm very upset about this. But what you know what I mean? Like back, it's it's kind of like you see in like British history that people like it's very all about the line of succession and their and their bloodlines are always under scrutiny, right? I get and especially it, but since Shepsut wasn't his mother, you know, because he was a secondary wife kid b team b team b team child b team so they estimate that she was in her mid 40s when she died 
That's not bad. She was buried in the Valley of the Kings, located in the hills behind Deir al-Bahri. In another effort effort to legitimize her reign, she had her father's sarcophagus reburied in her tomb (gasps) so that they could lie together in death. That's a baller move. Right. Um, hey, you can scratch out my face, but my father who started this is gonna chill with me for all eternity. Right. So double fuck you, you nose picking bastard. Right. She she did pass on to Thutmose the Third uh, a love of building, and he did go on to be an ambitious builder himself, but he didn't do as well as her. Yeah, he did reign longer. Dick. He reigned for about thirty thirty years, but I mean, he kind of inherited the throne late. You know, so. Yeah. He basically had someone else doing his job who then was like, I'm going to be recognized for doing this job. And then he threw a hissy fit. Um, And as a consequence of him throwing that hissy fit and erasing her, um, scholars of ancient Egypt uh, knew very little about her um, until about 1822. So it's fairly recent. Um, Is that... Is she the topic of the fourth never-released Mummy movie? Maybe. (laughs) Um, But that's when they were finally able to decode and read some of the hieroglyphs on the the Deir el-Bahri, which is one of the temples she built. And in 1903, the British archaeologist Howard Carter discovered Hatshepsut's sarcophagus, one of three that she had prepared. See? Funerary cult. Dude! Um, However... It was empty, like nearly all of the tombs in the Valley of Kings. Oh, no. Yep. After launching a new search in 20, 2005, a team of archaeologists discovered her mummy in 2007. <gasps> Where was it? It doesn't. It never said. Uh, t- Maybe one of the other two sarcophagi? It I don't know. It was just like tomb adjacent? Um, it, it is now housed in the Egyptian Museum in Cairo. Oh my god. So, yep, that was Heshepsut, who got basically erased from history until 1822. Which is, you know, almost, hold on, don't math, math and wine. Don't make me math. Well, because you figure she died in 1458. So that's 14, 000, or 1458 years to zero, and then another 1855. So add those two together, and that's how long she was forgotten about. I'm just going to take your word for it, because I'm not even trying to math. Okay. I'm just going to nod and smile. Nod and oh, smile. Yeah. yeah, math, numbers, calculations. I get that. That's okay. You don't have to math, but you do have to speak now. Okay. You know, that that's a really interesting story. And the whole time you're saying that, I'm like, I'm getting a lot of vibes with my gal. And I think they would have gotten along Same really well. wavelength. Yeah, we're on, we're on our uh, Femi family wavelength. Heck just yeah. riding the red tide together. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you have to have a period to be a woman. But we both have periods. Not right now. Not right now. At least not mine. (laughs) I just ended mine. I'm just coming up to mine. I'm so sorry. So my my dad is uh, unendingly supportive. And I love him. And I was actually talking to him about my gal last night. And I was encouraging him to listen. And so I get to teach him how to use like Spotify or something. And now I'm realizing he's going to get to hear me talking about riding the red wave. Yeah, he's going to be like, oh, God, that's my daughter. Yeah. And then he's going to be like, go M. No, he's going to be like, yeah, it's not my daughter. <laughs> no, no, this is a he just, different kind of person. He just won't pass on the podcast to other people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so what's your daughter up to? What daughter? <laughs> I have a daughter. Wait. Oh, I... yeah, that one. She 
think she writes something. She's she does stuff. She's working. <laughs> she's very somewhere. creative. Yeah, she's doing. I don't know. It's okay, I don't, my we're not. I close. love my father, but he is not technologically savvy enough to ever hear this podcast. So you can. And say I am okay want. with that. <laughs> It's okay. My husband will probably also never listen to this podcast. So, not that he's not supportive, he just doesn't care to. Yeah, I feel like Jared, my boyfriend's kind of that way. He's like, "Yeah, you do you, yeah, right. but I'm gonna do me over here. <laughs> I'm gonna go play video games in the other room." He does listen to me talk about who I'm researching, and I'll just go, "You will not fucking believe what I just read. <laughs> this is bullshit." That's and he funny. just kind of like, <laughs> okay. So there's a little bit of backstory to this. Kelly and I recently had the honor of attending a traditional Hindu Indian wedding. Uh, one of my coworkers, who is from India, just got married, and it was, beautiful. was it was a trip. It, like I've never been to a non-Western wedding ceremony. I don't think either of us have. I don't know if I like. I mean, I've been to like outdoor weddings and non-like Catholic Christian weddings because right. obviously mine wasn't religious. But I don't think, like, outside of, like, Catholicism, is that the overarching one? Christianity. Christianity. I always get that wrong. <laughs> I Like, outside of Christianity, I don't think I've even been out that, like, other than, like, non-denominational weddings. Like, yeah, I, don't think I've, I don't think I've stepped out the Christianity slash non-denominational. Why did we bubble. decide to drink and do this podcast? It's great. It's um, awesome. Until then. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like... So it's not just Western, but religion-wise, I've never gone to anything else either. Like, and I don't think I've even been to a Jewish wedding. Oh, yeah, me neither. I mean, hey, I if know, you, you want to, to invite you us to pause and like Jewish wedding, Mazel I'll Tov. Mazel Tov, I'll dance. Yeah, we were... I'll watch you get carried around on a chair if you're a woman. I think they do that, right? That's not offensive, I hope. Actually... <sighs> Sorry if that's offensive. I was a part of the Jewish student organization when I was in college because they had so few members. I was the treasurer. I remember that and so i somehow never got recruited probably because i just kind of like avoided the subject you came to the event sometimes though and that yeah. was really cool so like how i got weirdly indoctrinated into united way too oh yeah because i wasn't actually like a part of united way but i just went and like randomly did stuff with you guys and like walked in the parade for united way <laughs> like, yep yeah, we I was I was vice president of Student United Way in college and that sounds way more prestigious than it actually was cuz there were like 3 of us that actually did shit. Yeah. So. But anyway, so we went to this uh Indian wedding and what's really cool about it is it's actually like almost a week long event because the bride does all of these things to get ready and I I was not involved with the groom so I don't know if he's doing stuff on the periphery that I was not aware of. But I got invited to do the henna, so I'm still rocking my henna on my hands, and I got to see the bride. We can put a picture of that on the blog. We should. I did take a picture um, when it wasn't as faded because my hands are starting to get a little ghosty. It's still pretty. It is. It's. I've gotten a lot of compliments on it. I was in a meeting today, and the the girl right away was like, "Were you at a wedding?" Because I guess her sister went to a lot of Indian weddings because she had a lot of Indian friends, so she she knew what was up. But so I got invited to the henna party, and then there was a holiday ceremony the next day that unfortunately I slept through because my phone died in the middle of the night and uh, didn't go off. So, but I, I saw pictures and it was like this whole cleansing and really cool. And the ceremony itself was actually about four hours. The bride was carried in on a basket. Twice. Twice. 
there was a costume change. There was an intermission and a costume change. And you know how, like, if you're familiar with a typical church wedding, as soon as the organ starts playing, you sit down, you shut up, and phones are away, and you're super engaged the whole time. And while we were very engaged with the ceremony, everyone's, you know, they're coming in and out of the reception hall, they're on their phones, they're chatting, because again, this is four hours, and everyone was very aware of the length yes. of time. And, and maybe that's not traditional. We've never been to a wedding like this, but it was it was all very comfortable. It was very weird, because there, there were not a lot of white people there. There was like seven of us total yeah and 90 percent of them were me and my coworkers. yeah and me who just got to take along which is awesome which is uh i mean that's it, what a lot of people experience on a day-to-day -day exactly, basis being the minority felt very inclusive like there were certain times where you could kind of tell that they were like oh you probably don't know our tradition but they were really cool about but yeah, it yeah everyone was very open about it yeah everyone was very friendly and accepting i was wearing a dress from india that the bride had gotten me and she's like you can wear it you cannot wear it just depending on how you you know your comfort level and i'm like i'm never gonna get to wear this again so i rocked my indian dress let's be honest i made her wear it okay yeah i actually <laughs> i brought three dresses to kelly and i was like okay you need to tell me which one to wear and I had like a traditional western dress and I had two Indian dresses and she picked one of the Indian dresses for me but one of the other great. guests she walked by me and she touched my shoulder she's like you look very beautiful and I was like oh I'm gonna and, cry and these women in this culture one I feel like at least a lot of the women I saw must have been one very comfortable with their bodies because there was a lot of midriff showing of women on all sizes and it was wonderful but these saris, is that what they're called? Yeah. That these women were wearing were stunning. They all were... different colors, all different cuts. Like, these things were stunning. They were so that's gorgeous. Awesome and they that were... they stopped to, like, Colorful. compliment you. Yeah. <laughs> I was No like, offense. I look like crap compared to all of you. You look incredible. You should have, like, you should have been in my mind because I'm like, Wow, I'm wearing a Western style dress. This is, I literally know no one except for Emily. This is super awkward. I'm so glad you were there with me though, because I would have felt 20 billion times more uncomfortable because you need that person you're really comfortable with. And we kind of like linked together in our awkwardness because both of us were so terrified of doing something wrong because we were like overly aware of our ignorance. And during the ceremony, because everyone's on their phones and kind of doing their own thing, we were on our phones and we're looking up what's happening and trying to follow along because obviously we can't understand from the officiant's yep. words. And I'm actually really glad we looked it up because, like, I felt like we were more a part of it then because we were like, oh, this is a cleansing thing. Oh, this is the bride being given away, you know, this and then the them. seven steps and yeah. all this stuff. And I feel like, I wouldn't have been as immersed in it if I hadn't done a little research. Exactly. And it was it was a really great experience. And it got me thinking about badass women from India. Ooh. So this is the one and only female ruler of Delhi, Razia Deen, or Razia Aldeen, or Razia Sultan, or Sultan of Delhi. And this is a note. I'm saying Sultan. Normally I say Sultan, but when I told my coworker who had just gotten married who I was covering, she was like, what are you saying? I was like, Sultan. And she's like, 
oh, you mean Sultan. And I'm like, oh, that's not how you say it. Like the one word in this story, I didn't bother looking up the pronunciation because I'm like, <laughs> I got this. She's like, no, it sounds like you're saying Sulkin. And I'm like, okay. So this is in honor of her and uh, inspired by her. So congratulations on your marriage and thank you for including us. And uh, we're going to talk about this badass gal. Razia was born to, okay, before I get started, there are a lot of Indian names in this, obviously, and I wrote pronunciation notes. So there are going to be pauses while I remember how to pronounce these and go through my phonetic notes. I feel like at the beginning of every episode, we should just have a, we apologize for any mispronunciation on names in languages we are not familiar with. If I'm covering like an English or an or American gal, you know it's just because I did not have time to deal with pronunciations that week. So uh, she was born to Shams Udin Iltutmish, a former Turk slave in 1205. So we're going way back. 80? I, I assume 1205. So because otherwise, I think, I think if it was BC, they'd specifically call it out like my girl. Yeah, yeah. Um, his master, Kut Udin Ibak, a former slave himself, was the first sultan of Delhi and held Razia's father in high regard, so much so that the sultan allowed Iltutmish to marry his only daughter, Kut Baigum. Oh. Yeah. So the sultan was a slave and then gets really friendly with his other, his slave, and is like, hey... You can marry the Sultan's daughter. And wow. um I apologize. I think real I for- world Aladdin right there. Since yeah. Aladdin wasn't a slave, but <laughs> I mean definitely lower class. Yeah. But um I think I forgot to write down the dynasty that she was a part of, but it translates to the slave dynasty. Okay. And it makes sense because she's like third in line yeah. of a line of slaves. Okay. So Iltutmish married the Sultan's daughter, who then gave birth to Razia and her brother. Nasruddin Mahmud. Were they twins or just gave birth at some point at to some both of point. them? At okay. some point. You know, there were there was sex, there were babies, it happened. Okay. But it wasn't like babies at the same time. No, okay. no. They if they were twins, wanted to clarify. no one mentioned it, which I feel like is worth mentioning. As part of the ruling family, Razia had a privileged upbringing. She was close to high-ranking members of the court and harem, where her mother was dominant. Uh, She was also the favorite of her father and her maternal grandfather. So she's growing up, and she's living the life. So the maternal grandfather would be the sultan. Right. I suppose women did rule the harems of India, basically. Yeah, so the sultan had a harem, and the sultan's daughter was kind of the the top gal. She was the tier that's, A. That's so weird for me to think of, because when I think of, like, harems, I think of, like, concubines. And one of my gals later down the line is also Indian. So I know now that that's not always what a harem is. Mm-hmm. But, like, when I was first doing the research, I would have been like, so he's sleeping with his daughter, but that's that's not a thing. And I wanted to clarify that for listeners, too. Like, harem does not always mean concubines. Yeah, we'll get a little more into the harem. I didn't research it too deeply because uh, the story already got pretty long. It's okay. We, we'll get to it in a few weeks <laughs> if we don't get to it today. Contrary-wise, her half-brothers, Rukin Udin Ferruz and Muzuddin Bahram, 
who were children of former slave girls were not favored and grew up away from the centers of power. Okay, so, so her father has his harem and his wife is the head like, of that harem. But he's like making okay. so his rounds. So, so some harems are concubines. And I, I just want to point out, we're, we're talking about him having a harem and uh, these former slave girls. Like, I have a hard time. Wives. Yeah, but I have a hard time imagining there was uh, an ability to consent there. So I do want to acknowledge that. That's not, you know. But we also don't know. Because it depends if they were former slaves at the time, they may have chosen. Because you have to remember in a time like that, that was a huge honor. Yeah, but did Which they also have a choice? That's true. You know, it's like, okay, you can either keep being a slave or you can fuck this dude for the rest of your life and have a bunch of his babies. So things were not great for being a woman back then. Let, let, let's just leave it at yeah, that. we'll just go with that. When Razia was five years old, the sultan died. Her father succeeded him becoming the sultan. As her father's favorite, Razia was allowed to accompany him as he dealt with affairs of state. She was also trained to administer a kingdom in the event her father or husband were absent. So she was trained to step in if the male ruler could no longer rule for whatever reason. Nice. So kind of like the regent mm-hmm. that Hatshepsut, if I'm saying that right, was. Because of Razia's privilege and the opportunities she had to observe her father, she didn't adopt the same reserved behavior of other women around her and was a confident, outspoken woman. So she didn't absorb that socialization that you need to be... In the background. Yeah. You don't talk to anyone. You don't raise your voice. You know, you don't... I mean, obviously, Hatshepsut never got that either because she was queen so young and then she was regent and then she's like fuck it i'm just gonna be pharaoh she rocked it she fucking rocked it i love it despite razia's abilities intelligent and royal lineage her brother nasruddin was groomed to succeed iltutmish instead which not fair but i get it he's the he's the son he's got a dick so that's that's where it goes angly thing between the legs (laughs) uh however when Nasruddin suddenly died in 1229, Iltumish found him suddenly without a successor, as he didn't feel his surviving sons, who were Razia's half-siblings, were worthy of the throne, because they were all mothered by former slaves. Well, yeah, they were very much like, no, you're not in the spotlight. Yeah, they were the result of some happy fun time for Iltumish, and they were not actually really in the equation. Yeah. When Iltutmish had to leave the capital to lead an invasion to capture the city of Gwalior in 1230, Razia stepped up and acted as regent in his absence. Yeah, regent. Yes, regents for the win. Upon his return, a year later, having successfully captured the city, Iltutmish made Razia his heiress apparent, making him the first sultan to do so. So this dude's been at war. For a year, he's probably seen some shit. He's probably come close to dying. So he comes back. He's like, I need to figure this out ASAP. Right. And you've been ruling the kingdom. And it's for still a here. Year. <laughs> it's still here. You haven't burned it down. Let's do this. Let's make it official. And good for him. Finally. Down note, unfortunately for Razia, after her father's death in 1236, her half brother, Rukin, ascended the throne instead. Whose decision was that? Uh, a bunch of Turkish noblemen who didn't want a chick on the throne. Now, let's see how Rukin did. 
During his reign, his mother, Shah Turkan, basically ran the government, allowing Rukin to indulge in sexy finger quotes, personal pleasures. Shah I don't even Tur- know if you needed sexy finger quotes for that. The voice was enough. Yeah, but I like the emphasis. I like doing the sexy finger quotes because it makes me feel very sexy. Um, so Shah Khan was a former handmaid and used her newfound power to seek vengeance on those who had hurt her in the past, which like, I feel your righteous anger, but maybe don't execute a bunch of people who pissed you off now that you're in power. Technically, your son's in power and you're just like, meh. Yeah, but he, it's not even that he's too young. He just doesn't want to be bothered. Right? Like, he- at least when he- Shepsut ascended, like, she's like, I'm going to do some good shit with this. That person's like, I'm going to fucking kill everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's like the Sweeney Todd of ancient Turkey. No, India. Sorry, <laughs> I got confused because you said Turkish nobleman. <laughs> yeah, I, the Turkish nobleman come into play, and then Razia's father was a Turk slave, so they are in play here. But this does take place in India. Okay, just to clarify. So her uh, executiony revenge shit naturally displeased the citizens, and on November 9th of the same year. Both Rukin and his mother were assassinated. They were in power for just six months. So he done fucked up and she done fucked up. Well, really, it's she done fucked up and he done fucked other things. (laughs) She fucked up while he was fucking everything else. Uh, Reluctantly, the nobility agreed to allow Razia to finally reign as Sultan of Delhi under the official name... Oh my god, why didn't I write a pronunciation for this? You got this. Jalat Udin Razia. Beautiful. Confidence. This made her the first and only woman ruler of Delhi. I commonly found her res- referred to as Razia Sultana, which is like the feminine form of Sultan. But one resource was saying that she actually rejected the feminine form Sultana uh, saying it meant wife or mistress of a sultan. So it's like, I'm not going to be called a queen. I'm a fucking king. Well, and, and that might be the reason Hatshepsut stuck with the masculine figure, you know? She's like, no, I'm in power. You're going to fucking recognize it. These gals would have totally fucking vibed together. Oh I love it. They could have ruled the world. Oh my God. How great would our world have been? We would have had all the frankincense and myrrh. <laughs> Uh, she instead pres- preferred to be addressed as Sultan, which I love. As part of her becoming a ruler, Razia gave up Purda, uh, which is the practice of living in a separate room or dressing in all enveloping clothing in order to stay out of sight of men or strangers. So it's like modesty laws. She instead opted to dress similarly to the male rulers before her, which was a shocking move in a conservative Muslim society. Oh, sure. So again, she's kind of presenting herself as a masculine figure to separate herself from the other women and to establish herself as a ruler equal to, if not better than the men that came before her, which sucks that she had to do that. And same with Hashepsut, but it's a baller move. Right. And I respect it. It's like they knew what they had to do to get shit done. They knew what This is what I got to do. This is what I got to fucking do. And I'm going to do it better than the people before me. Get it done. Um, unlike her half-brother, Razia was a successful ruler and def- and ruled for more than six months. I might contradict myself. I forgot my notes. According to Persian historian Minhaj Aisir Aj, Razia was, quote, 
sagacious, just beneficent, the patron of the learned, a dispenser of justice, the cherisher of her subjects, and of warlike talent, and endowed with all the admirable attributes and qualifications necessary for a king, unquote. You know what I like about that? Unlike when we did Marie Gouge, Alain. or Alain de Gouge, sorry. Where did I get Marie from? That was the name she was born with. There you go. Um, so when we did Alain de Gouge, you know, a lot of stuff about her, even when positive, was, oh, she's beautiful. And Whereas she's this smart. is this person's like, nah, she's she's baller. Like, she, she's got everything we look for and is a great king. And I think part of that is this is a contemporary historian. This isn't someone at the time being like, wow, she's so beautiful. And she, like, does shit. Still, Who it's nice. Who would have thought? You're right. I definitely appreciate that. So polite golf claps to you, sir. <laughs> During her reign, she acted as chief of the army and even rode an elephant to lead her forces into battle. She captured new territories and expanded her kingdom. She also tried to get rid of the tax imposed on non-Muslims, but the nobility opposed her. Aww. So there was this uh, tension, I think is a nice way of saying it, between the uh muslim rulers and then hindu citizens and if you were not a muslim you were taxed because you weren't a muslim and she's like that's bullshit and she tried to get rid of it but again the nobility was like but no fuck you which is bullshit um razia was not just a competent warrior she also worked to strengthen her kingdom by encouraging trade strengthening the infrastructure and establishing proper laws so, yeah, she's working on it, not just expanding the kingdom, but improving it from the inside out. Right. And building those relationships with other countries by trading. Sisters from other misters. Right. And other and, countries. And, you know, like, and other years. hundreds of years. <laughs> <laughs> she also minted three coins with her title as Pillar of Woman, Queen of Times, and Sultan Razia, daughter of Shamsuddin Iltutmish. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So she's like, I got my face on some money. You will remember me, honey. Razia eventually married a childhood friend and governor of Bathinda Ma uh, Malik Iktiar al Tutnia. However, the details of their relationship are murky at best, as often historical things from all the way back then are. Uh, he had long hoped to be her royal consort, but Razia's responsibilities as Sultan took priority. So she continuously turned down his marriage proposal. She's like, honey, you're cute, but like, I'm doing shit. I'm busy. I'm busy. I have, I have a fucking nation to run. Go take a cold Put shower. Put it back in your pants. And chill. <laughs> Still, they did work together and he supported her through her reign. Good. Another guy that's good at being well, friend zoned, at least temporarily. We'll, we'll see. So what I'm about to read is actually, uh, there were two versions I read. And so I'm just going to go through it, and then we're going to kind of take a step back and do some cleanup. After Malik became governor, Razia relied on a slave named Jamala Yudin Yakut, causing his status to quickly skyrocket from Lord of Stables, which sounds pretty sweet anyway, to Chief of the Nobles, which is significantly sweeter. There were rumors spread by Turkish nobles trying to tarnish her reputation that Razia and Yakut were in a relationship. So wait, other people can have harems, but if you're a woman, 
nah, you don't get a side piece. Yeah, if you're a woman descended from a long line of Sultan slaves, you don't get to be involved no with side a slave. Pieces. Yeah, no side no, pieces. Fuck off. This prompted Malik to lead a rebellion against Razia. Some historians argue he was trying to win her back and protect her from the nobles who resented her. While others, while others say he was trying to take power, which like... No fuck. Or no shit. Like, I, are these just royal problems that I don't understand? It's like, well, uh, I'm really jealous because you're with this dude, so I'm going to invade your kingdom. Like, talk to each other, bitch. It's like a movie where everything could literally be solved by them having a conversation. I hate those movies. I'm like, sit down and talk out your problems like grown ass adults. We're literally in the middle of watching a movie like that, though. Oh, my God. So we we started out before this podcast. We were drinking wine and watching Sweeney Todd. And literally, if everyone had just had an honest conversation. She had literally just been like, hey, your wife didn't die, but went crazy. Spoiler alert. Um, okay, this movie and play are super <laughs> old, so fuck you if that's got spoiled. But you know what I mean? Like, if she was, because she said, oh, your wife poisoned herself, but then just forgot to mention, and she didn't die. So if she had just been like, oh, but she didn't die, she's just this crazy woman out on the street, so much of what happened wouldn't have happened. Yeah, but Mrs. Lovett I mean, straight up did that on purpose. He because... still might have killed people. Yeah, well, let me see here. I keep making Emily lose her nose. <laughs> It's so small. I need to do I was like. I'm doing it on my phone. Okay, you know what? My problems do not diminish your problems, <laughs> and your problems do not diminish mine. My problems are valid. Okay, <laughs> on my big old laptop with my nice big text. So shush. <laughs> During the rebellion, Yakut was killed conveniently, and Razia was captured by Malik while in prison in Bathinda. It said she was treated well because Malik was in love with her. Mm. Eventually, Razia was released and she and Malik were married. Mm. Ah, doesn't that just sound so sexy? No. A lot of resources I read pushed a romantic narrative between the two. Mm. Very Beauty and the Beast style. Like, well, he captured her to protect her, but he was still kind of mad and jealous. But her heart melted because he was so nice to her and, like, oh, yeah. allowed oh, her to continue shit. worshiping. And like, It was probably like, make me your fucking king or I'm going to kill you. That is literally the next line. But others argue that Razia, as a... Fucking prisoner, not sexy finger quotes, married Malik to avoid being executed, which fucked my head so bad because I was reading about him and trying to figure out his deal and all these resources are like, oh, he loved her so much and he invaded to protect her and he was just jealous. And I'm like, well, it's the whole history goes to the victors. So he probably and whoever came after him probably wrote it to seem that way. Well, they weren't thinking about this whole, well, if you're a prisoner, can you really consent? You know, it's those kinds of issues were not even on the radar. So, of course, when this story is written, it's seen, seen as very romantic and over the top. When really, this dude who wanted her power and was jealous invaded her kingdom, took her prisoner, and married her when she Forcibly. could not consent. Yeah. So, fuck you, dude. There's nothing romantic about that. And especially because while she was held prisoner by her now husband, gross. Was she still held prisoner after they got married? No, but yeah, in the, in the story, they're married now. Proceed. <laughs> um, while she was held prisoner, her half-brother, 
Muz the other uh, one proclaimed himself king, uh, backed course. by forty chiefs because he's a dude. He's a dude. He's of the correct lineage, and she's gone. Yeah, exactly. Now, Razia, with the help of Malik, tried to regain power, assembling their forces and marching towards Delhi, which sounds like a husband and wife team getting together to, like, go kick ass. I'm like, what the hell else is she going to do? Right? That's her her kingdom. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, they were defeated by Muz. Deserted by their remaining forces, Razia and Malik fled from Delhi to Kaithal, the day after their defeat, on October 14th, 1240, they were both killed. Razia's reign lasted only four years, and she Better was... Better than six months. Yes. True. I didn't have to contradict myself. She was only 35. Razia's burial site is disputed and is said to be in one of three places. What's with these women in threes? It's the Holy Three sarcophagi! Sorry, that's my dogs. Oh my god, I'm so sorry if you can hear that. <laughs> Kelly's dogs are desperate for their 15 minutes of fame. They're like, mommy! <laughs> <laughs> They're so cute. You know what? They know we're drinking out of pug glasses. Yep, today I am unpugged. I am a pug shot, which sounded just the right level of dangerous for me. So burial place number one, a courtyard in Bubul Ikan near Turkmen Gate, Delhi. Uh, there's a second grave next to hers, which is said to be her sister, who I really didn't read about until now, so I didn't get into it. I'm like, none of your other notes mentioned a sister. What? Yeah, I. Okay. You know what? Her father was kind of fucking everyone, yeah, so, so I can totally more of a half sister. There was a sister in there. Team sister. Part of the tomb has been converted into a mosque. Oh. Burial place number two, Kaithal, where the viceroy of India, Lord Linlithgow. Visited her tomb in 1938. Burial place number three. Tonk Rajasthan, where it's said she was buried with Yakut, the slave who was killed. None of these say she was buried with her, like... Husband. Unsexy quotes husband slash rapist slash imprisoner. Yeah. Fuck him. Um, It's her fault she died. Or his fault. Sorry, it's (laughs) her fault. It's his fault she died. Yeah. Because if he hadn't been jealous and wanting her power he wouldn't have kidnapped her you know taken over and then her brother wouldn't have been in power and then they wouldn't have had to fight for it and flee for their lives which didn't work you know what though i bet he was just such a nice guy and he would have treated they her were so much more nice so in love <laughs> like he just loved her so much she she just didn't realize how much he loved her the dogs are very upset about this. It's I don't tiny, know if you can it's hear tiny the, I don't know if you can hear the scratching on the door, but it's adorable. She's very upset about this situation. She has honorary tombs in all three places. So unlike Pet Shepsut, where, you know, obviously her tombs, at least two of them have probably been exhumed, and they did find her body, they ne- they've never looked in these tombs. I'm guessing because they don't know. Yeah, I'm there, not there must be more of a religion religious thing and it's it's newer it's within the correct era you know like it could also be it could also be a historical thing kind of there are rumors as to where she's buried where she died and so there are these uh honorary tombs kind of marking these potential spots because i mean hey cover all your bases people just might not know 
Exactly. In 1883, a biopic about about Razia called Razia Sultan, starring Hema Malini, was made, winning the Filmfare Award for Best Art Direction. Most recently, in 2015, a TV series called Razia Sultan, super creative with the names, uh, aired starring Pankuri Awashti. I'm so sorry. Because I forgot to write down pronunciation notes for that. Uh, this depicted her life and her passionate love with Altunia. Is that the guy we don't like? Yes. Okay. I actually, I saw a clip of it online. And because I couldn't understand what they were saying, it was very awkward. Because she was like talking to him, tried to walk away. And he grabbed her arm and then was like talking to her. And she's just kind of standing there listening. That sounds accurate. Yeah, I don't know. It was, like, just really awkward because she's just standing there for the longest time listening to him. And I'd be like, bitch, let go of my arm. I am your sultan. (laughs) So, yeah, that is uh, Razia Sultan, the first and only woman ruler of Delhi. Yay. Yeah. Bitch and a woman ruler. I wish her story had a happier ending and not such a romantic twist. Both of ours were kind of, like... Yeah. We kind of go for it because, like, our first episode was kind of depressing at the end. Our second episode, you ended with a woman who's still alive and kicking ass. Yeah, that's true. That's a slightly bright spot. And, uh, that's what it's going to be. It's just going to be a roller coaster. Like, woo! Thank you for joining us on this roller coaster of history. So now. Strap in and strap on. Strap in and strap on, people. It's getting real. So now, to pick ourselves up, we need to say something we're thankful for. I'm thankful for the dogs you hear in the background. <laughs> they, they, they are my biggest stress relief. On our, on our blog, you can go to our about page, and I'll put a picture of them up. Aww. Um, but they, they are. I'm, I'm thankful for all three of them, even though the tiny one's a handful. But just because they, they are. They're my biggest stress relief. You know, they're always happy to see me when I get home. I get tons of cuddles. Yeah, what are you thankful for? I am thankful that we published this podcast after... You make me feel so bad. (laughs) No, I'm thankful that we published this podcast after I caught my egregious spelling error. So a little earlier, I was talking about how we're called whining about herstory without an E. And that is because for the first, like, month of us putting this together, I was spelling whining, W-I-N-E-I-N-G. Literally everything. Like, we had an email address, our blog. Our logo. Literally everything had an E. We just hadn't published any episodes. Because I forgot whining is a word. I was like, I can spell it however the hell I want. I thought it was intentional that we were spelling it with an E. And so one one day I was writing my notes and all of a sudden it hit me. Whining and dining is a phrase that people commonly use. Oh my God, whining is a word. I googled it. W-I-N-I-N-G. So I God woke, damn it. I woke up the next morning to like four or five texts, because I had already gone to sleep apparently, of her just being like, there's not supposed to be an E. We need to change everything. Oh my God, no E. I hit you up on text message and Facebook messenger and everything. I Just I, over your snoring. I freaked out so fucking bad. And it's funny because everyone I've told that story to is like, wait, you mean you don't spell it with an E? That's yeah. not right. So I freaked out. No one would have given a shit. No, everyone would have thought we were correct. Like, I've literally had people be like, whining with the E question mark. And I'm like, no, it's without the E. And they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes. 
now I'm sure. starting to doubt it. Like I googled it, it's W I N I N G, but now I'm like, oh my god, did Google lie to We're me? We have to change everything back. Oh my god, we might not be able to do that with the WordPress. But shout out to the Word Tupa WordPress people that did help us in changing our name and deleting our old site and getting our new one up and running with as little hassle as possible and for free. Yeah, they they were nice enough to give us credit so that we could switch our domain from one name to the other. So I just want to shout out to them and all the help they gave us because they were amazing and they were so nice. And I'm pretty sure they probably laughed about us behind our back because I would have done that if I was them. Oh, yeah. And we deserve it for sure. But seriously, we need awesome men to support women in their adventures. So thank you, WordPress. So that's why I'm thankful for. Or women. It could have been women. No, I thought we got their names and they were... One of them didn't give us give us their name. So WordPress individuals. Cheers to you. We're gonna clank. Clank. And thank you to everyone that I've seen, you know, watching our blog, interacting with us on Instagram, Facebook. Please, if you're listening, go and review. You know, we need to legitimize ourselves. Big smiles. We need the validation. Seriously, thank you so much. You know, we're we did this on a whim, and we're really hoping that it'll pick up. And even if it doesn't pick up, we'll probably do it anyways. But, you know, we we want to say we're thankful for you on top of everything else. Thank you so much for supporting us. We appreciate it. And you can hit us up on Instagram at WAHpod, uh, Facebook, Whining About Herstory. Email us at whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. We want to hear about the powerful women in your lives. Yeah, please send us your stories. And if we get enough, we'll do like a listener episode where we read off those. If, if you're okay with it, like if you just want to share with us about a woman in your life and you don't want us to read it on air, just let us know. Just or if you do want us to read these. it on air, let us know. And really just anything. Like we'd love to interact with you guys. And um, like I said before, our blog is wine. Or, yeah, it is a blog. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know what I was going there. <laughs> WhiningAboutHerstory.com, and that'll also have all the links to our other sites. Thank you so much for listening, and have an empowered day. Woo-hoo. Bye!